Welcome to the Supervisory Development Course podcast from the University of Minnesota. This podcast answers some common questions University of Minnesota supervisors have asked us about leading virtually. Visit z.umn.edu forward slash leading virtually and supervising.umn.edu for more resources and information. Hi, I'm Brandon Sullivan, the Senior Director for Leadership and Talent Development here at the University. I want to thank those of you who attended our supervisory conversation session on March 4th. It was our first one um, on uh, leading virtually. Really appreciate those of you who were there and your engagement and participation in the discussion. Um, We're trying something a little different. Uh, This is a a bit of an experiment. Um, We didn't get to all of the questions that came up in the session. There were a lot of really, really good questions. And we wanted to um, dig into some of those that we didn't get to. So the first question that I want to talk about is here. Um, and this is a common challenge that a lot of supervisors um, are, are facing right now or, or at least thinking about is how to build and sustain collaboration uh, when a lot of teams have moved from in-person to virtual or hybrid and, and we're all still trying to figure out sort of what the long-term uh, approach is going to look like. Um, one of the things I would say is that we do see in our engagement survey here at the university that Uh, teams that have moved to virtual and hybrid are reporting pretty high levels of collaboration within their teams. Um, That doesn't mean every team is adjusted well and adapted well, but but it it does appear that on average uh, collaboration hasn't really suffered and maybe in some ways has even gotten a little bit easier um, as people have learned to to work together uh, in more of a, a virtual world or a hybrid world. So to to start off, uh, one of the things that's important to think about is whether you lead a group or a team. And that may sound like an academic distinction, but it is actually a pretty important one because the way that you facilitate the team, lead the team, um, the way collaboration looks is going to depend on whether it's a team or a group. And here's what that means. Um, A team is truly interdependent. Um, So teams plan work together. They have shared goals together. Um, They do problem solving together. Um, They make decisions collectively. And one of the things that will tell you whether you lead a team or a group, um, if it's a team, one person on the team cannot be successful unless others on the team are also successful. So you can't have a situation where one person can be highly successful and someone else, you know, fails to to reach their goals um, because they're interdependent. The work depends on one another. Um, in contrast, a group, you can, you know, on a group, you can have, you know, one person be very successful, someone else really isn't successful, and their work is fairly independent. And so that's okay, um, at least in terms of kind of um, the connection between them. And so um, what this means is that if you're leading a team, um, the level of collaboration is going to be really important for team performance. Um, and collaboration in terms of day-to-day communication, day-to-day coordination, day-to-day problem solving. You really do need members of the team interacting interacting with one another very uh, regularly and consistently if it's a team. On the other hand, if you lead a group, it may not be as critical for the performance of the group um, because people's you know may not need to coordinate on a day-to-day basis. They may, it may be more of a divide and conquer approach where you kind of divide up the work, everybody goes off, you know, does their part of the work, and then maybe you put it together at the end, but there's not a lot of ongoing collaboration and communication that's needed. So one of the things to think about is, you know, do you lead a team or a group? 
and whichever it is that you're leading, is that working for you? Um, and if it is, and it's more of a group, um, then there may or may not be a problem to solve if you're not seeing a lot of day-to-day -day collaboration. Sometimes, you know, people feel like we should have lots of collaboration, um, but it really depends on the work and, and whether it's a team or a group. So one thing to think about. Another thing to think about is the size of the, the team or the group that you lead. So there's there's been a lot of research on group size, and there's two things to that you can kind of think about in terms of team or of groups. When you bring people together, there are these process gains that you get, right? Because you have more skills, knowledge, abilities, expertise in a group of people than any one person has. Um, you know, teamwork can create a sense of morale and engagement and motivation. So there's these benefits to to bringing people together in teams. But there are also process losses that come with that. So the more people you have who are on a team who need to communicate and collaborate, the more opportunity there is for miscommunication, for conflict, for misalignment in work. And so those process losses, that's what managers and supervisors need to spend a lot of their time addressing is, you know, helping people to stay aligned, helping people to communicate, helping to address conflict. And once you get above about 10 people, um, the process losses you're going to become you know a little too much, and you're going to spend all of your time managing all of that, um, and not as much time actually getting the work done. And the team is probably going to be struggling a bit. And actually, if you look at the curve on this slide, it's really about five or six people that's ideal for a team. Again, people working interdependently day to day. And so one of the things to think about is if you have more than five or six people, um, you might want to break up some of the work. Um, so, you know, one of the things if you have, you know, let's say a team of 15 people, um, you know, you might want to break it up into sub teams of three or four for projects so that, that, you know, you have a smaller number of people actually communicating and collaborating on the day to day work, um, rather than trying to, you know, deal with all of the communication and collaboration needs of a larger, larger group. So that's also something to keep in mind is sort of the size of the, the, the team or the group that you lead. And is there a way to kind of break up the work so it's, a, you know, you have smaller sub teams that makes it easier to, to promote collaboration. Some other things that, that work really well, some good practices in terms of uh, increasing collaboration. One is shared goals. So as you set goals for the year um, or the quarter or however you do that, um, not only having individual goals, but also connections between goals, so shared goals be between team members. Um, and that is a good way to promote collaboration. And But that gets at, is it a team or a group? Because if it's a shared goal, then people have to work together very closely to get it done. That'll create more uh, collaboration, um, you know, it, but if that's not needed, you don't necessarily want to force that. So that's something to think about, sort of shared goals. Um, another is to look at the what and the how of performance. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times we focus on the what of performance. What are the results that are needed? What are the outcomes we're trying to, to get to? Um, but a lot of times, you know, when we're trying to create more collaboration, it's helpful to focus on the how of performance. How is that work going to get done? What are the behaviors that an individual needs to engage in to get the work done? And usually that comes down to collaboration and communication and sharing information and, you know, meeting deadlines so that, you know, when you do the handoff of the work, the next person can pick it up and, and run. So um, we actually have a, a competency model that we have that we use. You can find it on the, the supervising.umn.edu uh, website. 
Um, and it, it has some things around collaboration, some specific behaviors. And so that can be a tool to use as well as to, to have conversations. Um, actually, I'll go to the next one. Conversations in your ongoing check-ins or your development coaching conversations about the how. Um, so if someone isn't communicating um, as much as you'd like uh, across the team, then you can have a conversation about what does that look like? Um, it can be helpful to talk about where are they today on that and where would you like them to be and then and then kind of help them as you have those ongoing feedback and coaching conversations to, to build up more of those um, behaviors around communicating and collaborating. Um, another thing is to consider resetting team norms. Um, a lot of teams especially through the pandemic, made a lot of adjustments, a lot of changes um, to how they operate, but they weren't always thoughtful or intentional. It was, you know, a lot of times we were sort of in crisis mode or responding to different things, not really thinking about, okay, what are our norms on our team for sharing information, for keeping people in the loop, for, um, you know, checking in with people on things. And so um, that's, it's a good opportunity now. And actually, I know a lot of teams are, are taking this opportunity to say, okay, let's Let's unpack what are our team norms right now around how we work together um, and, and what norms are going to be supportive of, of our work going forward and maybe doing a reset of that. Um, and it helps to be really transparent and have actual conversation with the team about that. Have everybody give some input and then set some good norms. And then, and then um, that can be a really nice way to, you know, kind of set some expectations around collaboration that everybody is going to have some buy-in to. And then the last thing to, that you can do is, is just in your one-on-one -on -one solicit feedback from the team. You know, you can share, um, you know, say something like, you know, I've, I've noticed that it, there's not as much collaboration or there's not as much communication um, as it seems like maybe there, there could be on the team and, and wondering your perspective on that. And, and if that's so the case, you know, what might be getting in the way? What are some things that we could do um, to try to um, address that? So a lot of times people will have some, some good ideas that way. So those are some thoughts on how to address collaboration and, and try to increase some collaboration. So uh, here's the next question. Um, and it's it really is getting at, you know, sort of how are people doing? And we know that a lot of people, um, you know, have been struggling over the last couple of years, um, you know, some more than others. It has the, the pandemic and, and changes to work arrangements haven't affected everybody the same. Um, but this is a really good question. And one of the things that um, we see out in the world uh, in many organizations is a focus on leaders supporting the well-being and resilience of their teams and their employees and, of course, of themselves. And this is becoming a more and more important part of leadership uh, in many organizations, including here at the university. Um, and so I, I want to give a little bit of um, background on this just to, to kind of equip you with some, you know, some tools and concepts that, that might be helpful um, I know the question is really about sort of check-ins, and, and I'll, that is important, and I'll get to that, but also um, just some things as a supervisor for you to really be looking out for and thinking about. So burnout is something that has gotten a lot of uh, attention lately, and burnout is uh, something that is on the rise, um, and there's a lot of people that have symptoms of burnout, and so it's really important that you as a supervisor have an understanding of what burnout is, at least enough to notice if you're you know, seeing that on your team or you're seeing that in an individual. Um, burnout itself is pretty significant. It's very significant, you know, if you have all three pieces of it. Um, and, and so, you know, it's really important to kind of keep an eye on that. And you can notice uh, certain things um, that might cause you to, to you know, check in with someone, um, you know, especially 
um, as you're going. So uh, I'll walk through these real quick. So the first thing that, that you see with burnout, the first phase of that is really exhaustion. Um, all of us have probably gone through that in the last couple of years, but exhaustion is, you know, kind of how it sounds, you know, someone is, you know, showing that they're, they're maybe physically very tired, um, don't have the energy that they used to have. Um, you know, they, they just act like they're drained, um, that kind of thing. That's the first thing that happens as we get exhausted and drained. Then the second thing that happens with burnout is called cynicism. And what this looks like is, um, so, for example, let's say you work with patients or clients or students. Um, cynicism is you you start to not care so much about about them um, because you're feeling drained and overwhelmed. It's not because you actually stop caring about them. It's you yourself are drained. You're exhausted. You're overwhelmed. You don't have the energy to you know meet the needs of your clients, patients, students, etc. And so you become more cynical and you become more annoyed and frustrated. And so that's something you might notice if people start, you know, venting a lot about the people that they, you know, sort of serve, the people that they work with. Um, you know, that's a sign, especially if they also are exhausted and, and appear drained. And then the, the, the last thing that happens is inefficacy, which is really a drop in job performance. Um, and it's not due to lack of skill, knowledge, or ability. Um, it's because someone is exhausted and drained and, and they just don't have the capacity anymore um, to, to get their work done in an effective way. So it's really important as a supervisor to be looking out for these signs. And if you see these signs, knowing that, you know, really that exhaustion is the starting point. And so, um, and I'll, I'll say more in a minute about that, but really digging into how can we help shore up their resources, give the person some more support, um, you know, maybe not focus so much on, you know, the, the job performance in the short term. If it's burnout, it's not about the job performance, although that will suffer. It's about the exhaustion. Some of the most common sources of stress on teams um, are, are things for you to pay attention to. So if you're noticing these are present, um, you know, whether or not people are, are acting stressed or, or burned out, um, these are things you're going to want to address. Um, role conflict is where people feel like they can't uh, basically meet the expectations that they have in their role. They're conflicting. Um, and so if someone doesn't feel like they can be successful or like if I meet these expectations, then I don't meet these expectations. Um, that's a really stressful place to be and it will drain people and wear them out. So making sure that people are able to meet, you know, they have the, their job is structured in such a way and they have the, um, the, the resources and the clarity around what's expected of them that they can, can meet those expectations. Um, role ambiguity is a real big one. And when we're going through change, that is, that is something that's often front and center. And, and what that is, is I don't know what my manager expects of me. I don't know what success looks like in my role anymore. So that's really stressful because no matter how hard you work, if you don't know what success looks like, it's going to be really hard for you to get there. And so providing, you know, whether it's clarity, if you can, around roles and expectations, or sometimes you can't because you're going through change. And that's where just being really transparent about that and having direct conversations about expectations um, is really, really helpful and, and important. Interpersonal conflict. So we have a whole module in uh, supervisor development around managing conflict. Um, but when when there's interpersonal conflict, that is a huge source of stress for people. 
Um, and so if there is, you know, bickering, clear frustration, not just about an issue, but sort of lingering frustration that goes on and on between people or just outright, you know, really um, bad behavior, bullying behavior, um, people calling each other names. I mean, it, it can, you know, there's a continuum there, right? Um, but when you see this sort of emotional interpersonal conflict, as a supervisor, you're going to want to step in and, and try to address that. And we have a module uh, on that as, as well in the supervisor course. Um, and then lack of social support. So our support from our supervisor, support from our colleagues at work, um, that's, those are some of the most important um, resources that we have to deal with stress in the workplace. And so if you're noticing this, that there seems to be a lack of this, that would be something for you to you know, dig into a little bit. So um, again, this isn't necessarily about sort of how you would check in individually with people, but you certainly could um, check in on each of these things. But it's more for you as a supervisor to think about role conflict, role ambiguity, interpersonal conflict, and lack of social support. How's your team doing with these things? Um, are they present? If they are, you might want to, you know, really address those. That would be one of the best ways to, to help support the team. So I also want to talk a little bit about what makes work draining versus engaging, um, because this really gets at a lot of the uh, things that you can do as a supervisor to, to sort of shore up the resilience of your team. Um, so uh, just to give you an analogy to kind of think about it. Um, so um, if you if I told you these boulders, your job was to move these boulders um, uh, a couple of miles down the road. Um, and I gave you a wheelbarrow, a standard wheelbarrow to do it. It was you, a wheelbarrow, and these boulders. You'd probably say, I, I don't think I can do that. I know for myself, there's a few of those rocks I could probably move, those little littler ones there, but most of them I wouldn't even be able to, to lift, most likely. And certainly with a wheelbarrow, um, I wouldn't. So if you gave me that task and, and you said, this is these are the resources I have to do it, I would feel probably overwhelmed. I probably would give up right away and feel like I can't do it. However, what if I gave you this, and this I believe is the world's largest uh, dump truck, uh, as well as a large team to, to do this? Well, suddenly that task, same task, moving those boulders uh, down the road might seem actually too easy. <laughs> you know, that would be um, pretty straightforward task, wouldn't take very long. You might say, hey, I want, I want more, bring on more. This is too simple. And the point there is that um, it's not about the demands of the, the work that are so important when it comes to, you know, how are people doing emotionally with the work, their level of resilience and well-being. It's not really about the demands. It's about the resources that you have to meet those demands. And so this is what the research shows really clearly. When demands and resources match, work is engaging and sustainable. And as a supervisor, you probably don't need to worry too much about how your team members are doing if they have the resources to meet the demands that they have. However, when demands exceed resources, that's where then work becomes draining. And then this becomes a source of um, exhaustion, strain, and can lead to burnout if it goes on too long. So some of the things that you can think about, these are this is what research shows uh, to be some of the common demands and resources that exist in jobs. And of course, there's a lot of other things you could add to this and, and each job um, you know, has some unique elements to it for sure. But just as you think about how to support your team, um, some of the common demands, these are things that drain our, our energy. They take resources to manage. You can, can see there things like long work hours, intense time pressure, which is something a lot of teams are dealing with right now. Um, 
uh, distractions and multitasking. That's another thing that a lot of people are really uh, struggling with right now. You, these all can be dealt with, right, if you have the energy and the resources. Um, so they're just demands in and of themselves. Well, other than bullying, bullying is never helpful or good. The other things on there, you know, can be managed and, and can be okay um, if you have those resources. And, and the first one I just really want to emphasize, so as a supervisor, feedback and coaching from you, development coaching from you, is one of the most important resources that your team members have in meeting those demands. And so as you're thinking about, you know, how do I make sure I know how my, you know, my team members are doing, how do I support them, you know, feedback, development coaching, as you have those ongoing check-ins, asking how they're doing, um, and, and then helping to create a, an environment where people support one another, because support from coworkers is really important. Um, flexible work arrangements, which I know, you know, some have, some don't have, that's an important resource for people. So anything you can do to help provide more flexibility is going to be really helpful. Um, and then you can see some, some other things on there. So um, I know this is a long answer to that question, um, but it's really important as a supervisor for you to kind of be thinking about what are the things that you can do to really, you know, create a team environment, to create a team that's going to be resilient. Um, and, and of course, as you do those check-ins, you know, it's going to be important that you you know, have some conversations about how people are doing. Um, and if you're doing these things and addressing these things on an ongoing basis, you don't need to worry as much about sort of how people are doing and that you're maybe missing something. Um, or that, you know, if you're working on Zoom, not being able to really see body language and those kinds of things, that that's going to be a big problem. It still obviously is a challenge, but if you're covering the basis on these things, then you're doing a lot of what you can do as a supervisor um, to be supportive. All right, here's the next question. Um, and this is this is a really good one and, and it connects to <laughs> to the previous one. Um, so not all of us, basically, you know, not not all of us in supervisory roles um, can you know provide uh, flexibility, can provide you know particular kinds of work arrangements. Um, and so you know what what can you do to manage employees' expectations? And that is a tough one. Um, there are no real easy answers for that, but there's a couple of things to think about. One is to really focus on your level of control as a supervisor. One of the things that can really tap the energy and resilience of you and your team is if you focus on things you don't have control over. So that's kind of that, that outer ring here. And that is actually one of the red flags on a team is if the leader and the team members are really focused on sort of venting and, and griping about things that they can't control. Um, that is going to be so draining. And it is going to give everybody the sense that, well, we can't do anything about it. They're not necessarily going to have a sense of hope that things are going to get better. Um, and it just becomes a lot of sort of spinning uh, on the same issue. It can be hard not to do that sometimes. And there may be very legitimate issues outside of your control that are creating challenges. Um, but the research on this is really clear that if you focus more on those inner two rings, things that you can control or probably more likely things you can influence, um, that is that is really the key to you know helping to support your team and give your team a sense of um, a, a sense that that they can you know adapt adjust that that things will be you know either getting better or they can you know find a way to to manage the current situation um, and so you know a lot of times that influence is about identifying you know what could you influence are there people that you know you as a supervisor could give um, feedback to make suggestions around 
you know, build a business case for more flexibility? Um, are there smaller ways that you could provide flexibility of different types, whether it's flexibility in time, flexibility in where people work, or even, you know, sort of how people work together on the team, um, you know, back creating, you know, for example, on some teams, you can create backups uh, so that, you know, everybody backs up someone else so that if that person needs to be gone for a family event or a vacation or something like that, someone else can can step in and, and cover at least the basics of their job so that they don't need to be, you know, checking email while they're out or, or whatever. Um, so that's one thing to think about is, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say, you know, reflect on what can you control and, and maybe more importantly, what could you influence um, as a supervisor? Um, uh, and focus as much as you can on those things and being transparent with your team about that, right? And a and, and little bit of venting is okay, but you probably don't want to let your team continue to vent and vent if they're doing that on, well, we can't change this, and so that is horrible. Um, it may be, <laughs> but you don't want to focus a lot of your time and energy on that. Another thing that, that came to mind around this um, that can be really helpful is what's called stay interviews. And these are just some examples of, of questions, but stay interviews, part of it is really getting at, you know, why is uh, you know a particular person on the team? Why are they doing this work? Why are they in this job? What's gonna be important in retaining them? Um, what can you do to support them? And that is a good opportunity to, to surface some of the concerns that they have. So to give you actually a personal example, so my first job, um, I worked at Target out of grad school. I worked at Target headquarters, downtown Minneapolis. And my manager actually did a stay interview with me. Um, it was a, a couple of months after I started. And I had, uh, at the time, four little kids. They're teenagers now, but they were little kids at the time. And um, the culture there was, you know, work, 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 a lot of hours, um, you know. And, and I was fine with that, but I needed flexibility to do pick up and drop off of my kids. You know, they would have doctor's appointments and concerts and stuff like that. And so by my manager at the time asked, uh, you know, the question, actually, it was the um, the question about, let's see, which one is it? Uh, oh, what might tempt you to leave? It was sort of like that question. And I said, well, you know, I have four kids and I need to be able to pick them up, drop them off. I need to be able to, to you know, miss work when they have school events. I'm willing to work really hard. I'm willing to put in a lot of hours, but I need that kind of flexibility. And... Um, my manager was, you know, willing to accommodate that. And that actually helped to create a little bit of a different culture on the team because I wasn't the only one, <laughs> you know, in that boat. So that's something that, that you can do is to ask those, ask those questions and get a sense for that. And then to the, the point of the question, you may not be able to change some of those things, but you can be transparent with your team members about what you can and what you can't do as well as what might be in that influence ring, right? Things that maybe today they aren't where they need to be, but you know, you're going to be working with, with your leadership or you're going to be making some efforts to, to get some change. Um, you know, the key there is just being transparent. Um, and you know, if people move on because they need more flexibility that can't be provided, you know, at the end of the day, that's probably best for everyone. Um, and so you know, the goal, I think, is to, to just be be clear about things, and then for you as a supervisor, be clear about what you might be able to influence. Okay, um, the next question um, is about uh, having um, young kids at home and um, you know working from home at the same time. This is a big topic, <laughs> and there's uh, there has been a lot of research on this. Um, it is a big challenge. Um, my own 
experience. You know, I have have kids. They're they're a little older. They're you know in high school. Um, you know, I know a lot of people who have little kids, and and I think that this has been a really really challenging time. Um, and and that the move to virtual and hybrid work has not affected everybody the same. And one of the groups that has struggled a bit are those with kids. This young kids uh, have have really struggled. So here's a little bit of research. I, I teach a class on well-being in the workplace uh, here at the U, and um, I'll just share a little bit of research on that because the question was asking about that. So here's one study that um, came out on the pandemic, um, and they were looking at transitions that people had as they moved from in-person to virtual work. Like Many of us, it was literally overnight we went from in-person to, to fully virtual. And they found that there were some positive transitions, but what they found was that those who um, had a harder time where the transition was more negative, that, you know, moving into virtual work um, was was harder. Um, these are some of the things you see on this slide that that were were there. So those who um, preferred what they call segmentation, so where you keep work and home separate, probably not a surprise. You know, some people prefer that and they struggled more um, than others. And I think that continues to be a struggle. And one of the things a lot of people are working on is setting more healthy work-life boundaries around um, around that. Emotion-focused coping was another thing. So um, when you look at the coping research, you know, you can focus on sort of problem solving or you can focus on more kind of managing emotions. Um, and the problem-focused coping tended to be, those who, who focused on that tended to, to do a little bit better. Those who were more focused on kind of their emotional reactions to the, the change were struggling a little bit more. Um, techno stress, so you know, a lot of people had to very quickly learn new technology, new apps, new ways of working. Um, those who experienced that as very stressful, um, the, the transitions were a lot harder. Uh, this is a big one for you to think about. The, third, the fourth one is uh, supervisors. When supervisors were compassionate with team members um, who had little kids, things tended to go pretty well. Um, when they looked at those who experienced a more positive transition, that was a huge factor. But when supervisors are not compassionate, um, things tended to not go well uh, for them. And then some of the outcomes were you know, lower job satisfaction, lower job performance, higher turnover intentions. Um, so there is there is some data on, on that. And then the other study that I'll reference, and if you're interested in really diving into the academic research, this is a good, good article, you can get it through the library. Um, but this study was looking at dual earner couples with young children, and they found several different strategies that these couples used. Some of them worked pretty well. Um, not surprisingly, the ones around sharing housework, around sharing um, childcare duties, around um, you know th those kinds of things, the more that was shared, the more positive the outcomes tended to be. Um, but the most common strategy is what these researchers called remote wife does it all which probably explains it. <laughs> um, and this is where, you know, you had uh, the, the, the wife and the couple, and they looked at, at married couples, heterosexual couples. So, you know, this, this research, you know, is more limited in that that was, you know, who they were looking at. Um, but what they found was that when the, the wife was working full-time, fully remote, but also responsible for um, the vast majority of childcare and, you know, managing uh, the home, um, that was associated with, uh, pretty bad outcomes in terms of um, job performance suffered, um, even created conflict within the family, that kind of thing. And so um, strategies for managing that are going to be really, really important. And this was done earlier in the pandemic. And I think a lot of families, at least just in my experience, are sort of navigating through some of this. 
Um, uh, so this, uh, this is something that I think is an ongoing, ongoing issue. So um, some of the things that are really important then to focus on, you know, one would be healthy work-life boundaries. And this gets at norms on a team. Um, so expectations for responsiveness and availability. If you have little kids, especially, um, you know, you, you're going to have your time divided and you can't always control when your kids need something. And so, you know, this is something where on a team, if the expectation is you're going to quickly respond to things, um, then that can be really stressful. If there's an expectation you're going to be available 24-7, that can be really stressful. Um, and so it's really important for teams, and, and a lot of teams are starting to do this, to look at what are our norms around this, what is needed for the work that we do, and what is it that we really, you know, maybe we've gotten into these patterns uh, because of, you know, the pandemic, but they're not actually healthy and they're not actually productive for our team. Um, so two things that you can think about as a supervisor. Um, one is um, what's called work extension, and this is where work enters non-work space and non-work time. Um, so, for example, you know, we, a lot of us, our workspace and our, our home space are the same now. <laughs> um, look at me recording this video right now in my home. Um, so a lot of times what that looks like is, let's say you're, you know, ha trying to make dinner for your family um, or, you know, you're trying to, you know, sit down and have a conversation with a parent or a, your kids or your spouse or something like that. Um, and then, you know, your phone goes off with a text message or, you know, if you're like me, you maybe compulsively check your email. So maybe you do that and you see some email in there. That is work entering non-work time. Um, and, and that's something that's, you know, you can create norms around that uh, on your team. Um, and a lot of teams are doing that now where, that, are, that are a little more healthy. Um, another uh, piece is called work intensification. And this is about the work pace speeding up. And that has happened a lot uh, on a lot of teams. And so, for example, um, you know, it's not uncommon for people to be on a Zoom call while they're also answering email. Maybe they're also getting text messages. Maybe they also have a document open that they're working on. And there's just, you know, productivity in a lot of uh, organizations has picked up uh, and increased over the course of the pandemic. But of course, that may not be sustainable. That's why we're seeing a lot of uh, risk of burnout uh, increasing. And so work intensification is, is an important thing to think about on your team. Um, you know, what is, you know, how fast do we expect people to respond? You know, do, is it a norm now for people to be doing multiple things at the same time? And it's not that you want to say no to those things, but it's really being intentional about that, um, thoughtful about that, and identifying which of those norms and practices might be actually creating, um, you know, more stress, more challenges. And the question this is addressing was around, you know, having young children. And that is something that is one of those factors that can make all of this a lot more difficult and stressful. So I would say thinking about about these norms is really important. And then the last point that I'll make, uh, there was a study that was looking at, you know, how we think about work outside of work. And if you are thinking about sort of ruminating about feelings related to work or frustration or anger or you're worried about something, if you're focused on sort of that outside of work, that leads to exhaustion. That is draining. And so a little bit of that is inevitable. But if you find yourself just really thinking over and over about something really negative or stressful at work, finding ways to, to kind of break that cycle is really important. Going for a walk you know, having a conversation with someone about something else, um, you know, even watching TV might be helpful, but, 
but that's that's really uh, something that you want to try to notice and avoid if you're doing it. On the other hand, what they call problem-focused rumination is okay. So if you're thinking about a problem you're trying to solve at work, and it's not something that's like you're feeling frustrated or angry or whatever, but it's more sort of, oh, I really want to figure this out, um, that's not necessarily going to be draining or a bad thing. So that's another thing you can think about is maybe maybe there's some problems at work I want, not, not conflict-type problems, but like, you know, a, a business problem, a challenge I'm trying to solve. Um, you know, focusing on that rather than the, the feelings around that can be helpful. So there's, you know, there's a lot more that we could um, go into around these questions, um, but I wanted to do a little bit of a deeper dive since I had the opportunity. So I hope this is helpful. Uh, feel free to uh, reach out if you have any follow-up questions on any of this. Um, please check out our uh, supervising.umn.edu website. There's modules on all these topics, which, you know, you, you all um, well, those of you who, who went through um, new supervisor orientation or our SDCF course, you've, you, you've seen a lot of that or all of that. Um, but I'd encourage you to, to spend some time and dig in. Um, and otherwise, uh, thanks for watching. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Supervisory Development Course Podcast. Please explore resources mentioned in the podcast by going to supervising.umn.edu. The Supervisory Development Course podcast is created by Leadership and Talent Development within the Office of Human Resources at the University of Minnesota. If you have questions regarding supervisory development, please email us at ltd.umn.edu. At